Welcome to the Waterways World Podcast, brought to you in association with ABC Leisure Group, operators of hire fleets and marinas around the UK. Hello and welcome to the Waterways World Podcast. I'm Bobby Cowling, the editor of the magazine, and with me for this episode is Managing Director of River Canal Rescue, Stephanie Horton. River Canal Rescue is the UK's largest national breakdown rescue and recovery service provider for inland boats. Founded by Stephanie and her husband Trevor in 2001, it now has over 20,000 members, operates on a 24-7 basis and covers a network of some 3,500 miles. We discussed the growth of the company over the last 20 years, some of the more unusual challenges it has faced during this time, and how a post-lockdown boom in boating is already having an impact on its work. So, let's take a listen. Stephanie, I remember reading in the magazine that in 2001... River Canal Rescue started with two engineers and one office-based person. It's difficult to imagine that now because you've almost become a waterway institution, haven't you? Yes, indeed. Um, yes, it's, uh, it's, it, I, I sometimes wonder what sort of beast we've grown because it, uh, it, has, it has developed from, from, from yes. Well, I mean, certainly, that, that's what we envisioned when we started with the Canal Rescue. Um, I don't think we quite recognised that it would take over our lives. And, um, you know, we have a, a standing joke inside the company that uh, once you start working for us, it's a bit like ex, um, accepting the golden penny. You remember um, when you used to go on a boat um, and they needed extra crew. Um, Press gangs. Yes. Um, yes. It, it is very much, you know, we do we do say to people, you know, once they start, they've accepted the golden penny, that's it. They're in <laughs> for life. Well, how did the company start then? Uh, right. Well, really, it was um, my, my husband, Trevor, um, who's the CEO, has a, had a passion for boats. Um, he... Um, we bought our first boat um, probably in 1999, 98 time, um, and used to cruise that up and down the River Trent um, and the River Saw. Um, and I think, it, you know, he's an engineer, he's a diagnostic engineer. Um, and I think it came to him, it was like, you know, well, what does everybody else do if something happens out in the waterways? What do you do? And then he... Um, you know, that was just a, you know, what, what do you, you know, what do you carry on board a boat? What sort of breakdowns do you get? Um, but it, it eventually sort of developed into a, in, into a, um, into this idea of, um, uh, of River Canal Rescue. And actually uh, it was, uh, he had a number of reoccurring dreams um, about uh, a, you know, about a company that provided these services and even dreamt, dreamt uh, what the logo would look like. Um, and what the service would yes I know it's very odd um, and he, he, um, at the time I was still at university because I was doing an electromechanical um, engineering course and and I said well look you know I'm, I'm too busy we'll, we'll need to put kind of shelve this for the moment or you need to do it on your own um, and I finished uh, that that year and so in summer we decided that what we do is we start doing the research and we spent uh, we spent about six months just walking the waterways talking to people 
trying to find out what services were available, you know, um, and really kind of trying to understand what boat, what boating, inland waterways boating was really about. What services were available to boaters? At then? that time, there was one called Seabass. So Seabass was, um, I think it was set up by a number of um, boat builders in order to support when their boats were, you know, if they had warranty call-outs, but developed a little bit further. So they had a central number that you called and they would put you in with uh, in contact with a contractor that was maybe registered with them and then you just pay them directly. But they I remember rightly, and I can't, don't hold me to this because it was only 20 years ago, um, uh, that, that there was a minimum fee of £250 for someone to come out. Um, wow. Now, it did work quite well, but there were areas that weren't covered. Um, and there was, uh, and it was very much down to an individual. So there was no, you know, if that contract was available and what rates he wanted to charge you. And it, and it was very much, uh, you weren't 100% certain what you were going to get at any particular point. Um, I think there was also, we also came across another company which was um, based down south, um, um, what were they called, Marine Support Services, MSS, Um, and they had set up very similar to us, but unfortunately they had already gone bust once, and we did have a number of customers right in the early years who, who had joined them, and then gone to call them and they weren't there um, or, um, uh, or, they, or they called them and they were told that they couldn't help. So we had quite a big um, uh, obstacle to overcome to show that we weren't going to be doing the sort of, sort of same things. Right. And what did you learn from the boaters you spoke to on the, uh, when, during your travels? Um, was that there was a lot of reliance on other boaters. Um, so, you know, uh, people... Um, that you know the waterways community was actually really quite strong 20 years ago I think it's become quite diluted nowadays um, there are still pockets of it but I think a lot of it is um, is based well certainly then a lot was based around um, either do it yourself or reliant upon your neighboring boaters to help out with things and then um, calling on contractors um, you know, if you're in the local area, I don't think there were many boat, uh, boat yards that were prepared to travel because obviously leaving, if you're, I don't know, in the middle of rebuilding an engine and you've got to drop everything and travel two hours in order to get to someone to do half an hour's work, charging them that five hours worth of work to you, one, didn't really recover the fact that you've then got to get back and get back into the job that you were doing previously and you've lost half a day fitting an engine and developing and, 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 and sort of um, backlogging your other work. Yeah, yeah. So um, so even from boatyards, there was a, you know, and especially now, if you phone any boatyard and say you've broken down, they'll generally advise you to call us because we can respond. And that's what we focus on is doing that breakdown and recovery work. Um, and uh, we've, we've worked really hard to promote and, uh, well, to promote that there's more than enough work for all businesses. And, uh, and we like working in partnerships with marinas. So, you know, we like to be able, if there's a call out outside their marina, we offer that work to them first because, it, you know, that's, um, it, it helps both parties. If they've got the work, then they can do it. If they can't, then we're, we're quite happy to do it and we're not standing on anyone's toes. When you and Trevor had the concept for RCR, was that to be a national breakdown recovery service always um right away from day one um we we opted to make it a, a nationwide um national service yes because the whole point of boats is you don't stop in one place do you no that's true but how on earth do you go about doing that i mean as i've already said i mean you started with three staff um 
big ambitions, I guess. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, I think uh, certainly for the for the first four or five years, we you know we probably weren't making a profit. We were you know we were plowing absolutely everything we had into into delivering the service. Um, yeah. But 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 in, in reality, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of my time on the road. Trevor spent his time on the road. Um, we were based in the centre of the UK, so actually most places are accessible within a couple of hours. Is so it even stuffage? with Yes, yeah, that's correct. So, um, so, so yes, we're, we're, even though we've started, we only had two engineers on the road at that particular time. The fact is, yes, they, were, they may have been out from six o'clock in the morning till ten o'clock at night, but we were still able to um, supply those services nationwide, even with just those two engineers. And then, obviously, we did have contractors to back us up as well. So, if we had, you know, we'd um, we'd have callouts coming in, and then uh, so we we. We'd go out and attend those, and then if something came in that was outside the area, it was just going to be too much. Then we'd organise for contractors, um, and it's very, you know, it is very, very similar um, nowadays. We just have more engineers, more customers, and more contractors. Yeah. So has it got easier? Um, that's a challenging question. <laughs> <laughs> um, has it got easier? It, it, yes. Though I think the unpredictable nature of the work that we do um, can put pressure in certain areas. So, yes, we have a, a larger base of engineers to choose from, um, but we still can't control those peak days when we maybe get 30 or 40, 50 even call outs in one day. Um, and um, much like now, finding a, a, a contractor that's available to take on work because everybody wants everything doing now. Um, so, where, you know, when it works smoothly, our engineers are used efficiently. Um, we then use the contractors just to take the edge off if we get additional through. When the contractors are available, everything works lovely. Um, but there are those days where we phone, we can phone 20, 30-mile-wide radius. We can go to a 100-mile radius and still not find any contractors that are available. Our engineers are already backed up. Um, and at that point, we have to start looking at either bringing in um, some of our management team who are ex-engineers um, to go and take the, the pressure off or calling in some of our engineers that might be off work and seeing if they can come in and help us. So there are different challenges, I think, with the numbers that we're dealing with. You know, 20,000 customers we look after, um, up to four and four and a half thousand breakdowns per year. And then on top of that, we've got return visits, you know, um, to do our replacement parts jobs. Um, as well as canal contracting as well, sort of taking on the bigger jobs and even sort of stuff that takes up to a, up to a day to do, like an engine removal or an engine fit. Given your considerable engineering experience, do you ever get out to the boats yourself? No, I know I use my skills where they're best used, which is in the office. Um, so, so no, no, I'm not that I wouldn't, um, you know, I, but, but, but I've never really been a hands-on engineer. I, I am... Um, in my speciality, but certainly on boats. Um, and, and theoretically, the, 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 the benefit is that I understand those, those those systems. I understand how they work, and I've worked in the industry long enough now. Um, you know, the engineers even phone me up and they'll say, you know, we've got this, and it's it, it, it's uh, let's say it's a, a fuel system. So I've got a BMC, very common one. I've got a BMC 1.5. It runs absolutely fine. And then, it, you know, I've checked the whole system. There's no air. The filters are all fine. The fuel's fine. But it just occasionally either starts revving up or dropping down or it cuts out or it does this. Um, and and, and uh, over the years, we know that the one culprit is always going to be a, a fuel pump, a fuel right. lift pump. They, they, they cause very spurious results. 
Um, they're one of the cheapest components, but they can lead you to literally replace the whole fuel system if you're not aware. And it's only because we've had so many call outs. So our first port of call is change the lift pump, see if it's still if 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 it's still doing the same thing. And I've had engineers argue me, but it can't be the lift pump. There's no, it, it just it can't do that. And I'll say, just please try it. You know, we're talking forty five pounds. Let's just get it done, change it out, and they'll phone back and they'll say, well, how how does that work? How can that be? And I'll say, I don't know, but I just know from experience, it's the first port to call when, when you get things that just don't make sense. Um, and I think the other thing we've done, which is, uh, you know, um, really helps the system work well, is that our engineers are encouraged to talk to each other. So I, I do regularly, you know, when we get, um, sometimes we get a complaint in, people will say, you know, the engineer did, went off and had to speak to someone and clearly didn't know what he was doing. And, I, and I, I, you know, we go back with a standard response. We've got over 800 different engines out there. And out of those engines, not one is going to be exactly the same installation as the other. And I don't expect anybody to know everything about every single engine, about every single installation. So we encourage our engineers to talk to each other and support each other so that we can resolve problems really quickly. Yeah. So you've got this kind of base of, of knowledge, I guess. Yes. 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 What are the common causes of, um, well, we'll start with breakdowns. You must see recurring problems. You mentioned the fuel pump. Are, are there others? Yeah, I mean, so, so yeah, we've, um, over over the years that we've been operating, um, and because we have so many customers, um, we're usually the first people that see trends of issues happening. So, um, you know, Beta used to have an issue with their um, crankshaft pulley. Um, and you know we we were seeing more of those cases, and we did feedback to Beta, and, and Beta have now rectified that. Um, there are you know, I don't want to pick on Beta, but because it is one of the better engines out there. But Beta have a, a block connector which has very classic. Um, so you go to your boat, it either won't start at all, I think you turn the key and it's completely dead, or you turn the key and you can't turn it off. I.e., you turn the key, you take the key out, and it's still running. Um, wow. And it, they have a block connector which really carries the, the all of the information for the engine. And if that block connector gets damp in it, it disrupts that information. So, um, you know, all of my staff now are try, they'll pick up that particular issue and they'll talk someone talk someone through how to find find that block connector, pull it back, disconnect it, reconnect it, and that usually sorts the problem. Mm-hmm. So there are there are things like that. Um, relays, um, Isuzu's and uh, Vitas's have. And Canal Line have a number of relays that are sat in positions where they tend to get wet. Um, not ideal at all. Again, that sometimes we feedback to those companies. Um, but those relays can, you know, they give very um, typical symptoms that we can pick up. Um, but things like, you know, there's there's foul props. Um, you know, my, my engine's running. Um, my engine's fine until I put it into gear, and then the engine cuts out. Um, so again, the girls, the girls, we have. Um, in the office, we have a list that they they, they refer to um, in order for them to, you know, so if somebody's reporting, as I said, their engine's cutting out, check your propeller. If they're reporting that as soon as I put my revs on, the engine cuts out, check your air filter. So we try and uh, we try and do a, a little bit of, of work in the background um, in order to, uh, to, to assist customers. And I think, you know, customers do find it really helpful sometimes that they're just kind of um, pointed in the right direction and on what to look for. Mm. What about rescues? How common are 
boat rescue? Unfortunately, they're getting more. Well, either we're getting um, we're getting a bigger reputation, or they're getting more common. <laughs> so, um, I mean, we used to do maybe fifty to a hundred rescues every year. Um, the last few years, we've been up at uh, one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy-five. I think last year we topped 250 rescues, and that's not counting the bath one, which was counted yeah. as one rescue, and that was obviously 50 boats. Well, I want to talk to you about that later. We'll, we'll okay. return to that, yes. <laughs> so with, with, with rescues, we're certainly seeing a lot more um, uh, sort of, you know, uh, and it does come, it, it always does come in tandem with, um, with flooding, um, with heavy rainfall. Um, but there are there are other you know there are other causes we we've uh, I think we highlighted in the press a number of years ago about uh, weed hatch seals they they're a forgotten element um, and I think during people's general maintenance um, that they, they they don't regularly get them checked and people just assume that they're okay but you know they they're a um, they're an essential item that needs to be checked every year and replaced as soon as it's showing any sort of damage because. Those are the ones that you know. If you're if you're in reverse, or if you're travelling and your that seal isn't secure, then water ingress is going to happen in the boat. And and um, and we've seen on a lot of occasions, unfortunately, you know, boats that will go down within 10, 15 minutes um, if their weed hatch is left open. But on a on a on a where a seal's failed, um, you're travelling for an hour or so. That's enough to fill up the engine bay, and before you know it, your um, your inlets are under the water and you're straight down. Right. In the so, middle of the canal. <laughs> so check your weed hatch seal. Oh, weed hatch seals, yes. Um, they, they are not given enough attention and they're definitely not high on people's priority list, but um, probably one of the biggest single causes um, that you can be, you, you can manage um, on the, you know, biggest single causes of sinkholes. Is owner negligence a common occurrence? Not re- not for sinkings, not for rescues. Um, but you know, uh, we've we've seen the most um, skilled and um, experienced boater get caught in situations in locks. So everybody assumes it's always new boaters, and it isn't. In a, it, going through a lock, um, you can it only takes a split second or lack of concentration. Um, you know, looking in the wrong direction, boat mm. drifts back or drifts forwards, and very quickly you can get yourself into into issues. Um, we've seen quite a few um, problems with lock gates. Um, so obviously, uh, CRT have been fighting a bit of a losing battle. No, not a losing battle. I shouldn't say that. They've been fighting a battle of keeping on top of all of the historic locks and keeping them in good order. Um, and obviously, with the amount of boats that are on the waterways, um, I think that's a bit of a challenge for them. Um, yeah. So we do, we do see, we have seen quite a few cases where vessels have maybe come a bit too close to the locks and those locks, although they maybe shouldn't be leaking, have been leaking. And obviously when you've got a force of water, there's quite a chute. Um, if that ends up in the front of your boat, you kind of, you, there's a lot of water coming in really quickly. Um, yeah. So it, I, I think it's maybe that boaters just need to be aware of some of those issues um, and, uh, and be prepared to deal with them. Yeah, that's very good. You mentioned the um, the Avon boat rescue. That was um, last September, the near Bath, where uh, sluice gate failure resulted in um, water being drained away, and three boats were capsized and sank. Uh, six were um, at risk of going the same way, and nearly forty boats were stranded. <laughs> was yes. that the biggest? Was that the biggest operation you? 
or the biggest challenge you've faced today? I think it was, uh, right, um, no, I would say Hebden Bridge and the floods up there were probably the biggest challenge. Um, and that? the biggest was, that was two thousand. Oh, I think we've had two lots up there. I think there was, was it one the Boxing in, Day floods. Yes, the Boxing Day floods. Yeah, um, that that was total devastation, and there was a lot of boats in very very precarious positions. I think this one was more the timescales and the number of boats that needed to be sorted, and that they all, in order to refloat um, any of them, we needed to address all of them. Um, you know, uh, and our, our our view when we went in, because when we originally arrived, they just said, well, you know, just fill the water up and, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll almost compromise some of the other boats. Um, and uh, and our view was, no, that we, we don't have to do that if we take just a little bit more time and do the planning, because, you know, they unfortunately, when we got down there, they had already been sat in that sort of position for two days and people were very, very um, stressed. You know, they couldn't get to the boats. They couldn't get on and off their boats. Um, mm. They hadn't had any communication as to what was happening, how it would be resolved. Um, so, so they were very, very eager, as were all of the authorities, very, very eager to get it done now. Um, and one of the things that um, we have learned over a number of years of doing this is that we um, try never to be pushed into moving things forward faster forward than we feel is required, mainly because um, issues tend to, you know, you can't think through everything. And uh, when everything becomes um a faster pace you, there's more risk of things going wrong so we really had to put our foot down and, and, and sort of say look you know ultimately we can refloat everybody but we need a few more days because we need to plan this out and plan it out correctly and we actually got all of the voting community um to to agree to doing that and to kind of almost take the pressure off ea to get this done right now because yeah. as we said you know you're, you're a community of voters would you be happy if it was your vote that was compromised just for the sake of everybody else's and everybody agreed no we want to do this and where possible if we can we want every single boat brought up successfully and that was our that was the main aim of um of achieving that but yes in terms of um pulling all of that together getting all of our team on site pulling it all off in sh such a short time scale and was uh, was definitely a feat and that was definitely one of the you know one of the biggest challenges that we've overcome. I think um, when we originally planned on doing that job right the way from the start, when we said we'd start, we were confident that we could get them all up and done in one day, but we obviously didn't want to hurt your vets too much. So we had agreed with um, with all of the authorities that it would be a two day event, um, but we got to kind of five o'clock on that night and I think we had three boats left to go and the team said no 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 we're going to carry on um considering they've been on site for a very long time um we're going to carry on and we're going to have every single one so by nine o'clock they had got absolutely every, every single one of them floating in safe. Steph, can you give me an idea of how you recover a sunken boat? So our, our guys make it look very easy. It's through years and years of, uh, of experience and to, to the point where I've, um, I've now kind of got to the stage of saying to the guys, can you please slow down? Because sometimes we're kind of recovering a boat within a few hours. 
Um, but the, the, the key is preparation. Um, so a lot of people think that it's all about just throwing pumps in and pumping the water out of the boat. Mm. Um, uh, it does depend on how deep the boat is. So there are different... Um, there are different techniques depending on how, how deep the boat is. But if we've got a, um, a, a vessel that's up to the gunnels, then generally throwing pumps in um, is, you know, you get enough pumping in there, it will refloat. It's very, very, very simple. However, um, the key to the success is actually covering all of your exit and inlet points. And that means getting into the water, feeling around and blocking those points off um, or using tarpaulins. Um, to stop water ingress. The challenge comes when you've maybe got a GRP cruiser with an outdrive, which means that all, all the outboard's been pinched um, and therefore you've got a great big hole at the back of your boat. So it doesn't matter how much you pump, the water just keeps coming in. Yeah. Um, uh, so so a, a lot of it is down to the preparation. So where we've got a boat that's maybe up to halfway up the windows or up to the top of the windows, then the key with those ones, once you start pumping out water, it causes a vacuum inside the boat and that vacuum will smash windows. It will literally crack them and smash them. And then as soon as you've lost your windows, you can't pump that boat out. It's impossible. So um, we have developed a lot of equipment that's specifically for doing this. Um, we've got plastic boards with um, which are, have tarpaulins and then magnets that we put in them so that we can attach them across the windows. So when we start pumping out, that relieves the pressure on the windows themselves. Right. Um, and that stops them smashing. Um, we have uh, tarpaulins that we put around. So we use a lot of tarpaulins and magnets. There's a lot of the equipment we use, but we also have um, bungs and uh, all sorts of bits. But the key is to actually seal that boat so that when you start pumping, it's very quick and efficient. So you might find, you know, when when somebody attempts this themselves, they can put three or four pumps on and they'll sit there just watching the water pumping out. And it may well take four or five hours before you get any sort of lift. Um, once you, If you prepare a boat correctly, then when you start pumping, it's so efficient that within half an hour, an hour, that boat will be refloated. I see. With regard to rescues, I understand that you were flown out to the Canal de Midi in the south of France to rescue boats there. Yes, yes, yes. How did that come about? Uh, right, so, well, because we, um, we're, we're, we work with most of the major insurance companies, um, one, because we don't take the mic with our pricing, and two, because um, they understand our philosophy, which is the quicker we get those boats off, the, le the less damage there is to the vessel. So ours is all about sort of being fast and efficient and getting them up. Um, uh, and so because we work with a, a number of the insurance companies, um, the particular insurance company that insured all of the uh, Le Boat boats um, had contacted us and said, look, we've got this job down there. Um, I think there was possibly a bit of a language barrier, but also I don't think um, France operates very differently to us on the waterways. They really do. Um, they're like they're probably like the waterways maybe thirty or forty years ago in terms of um, each marina looks after its specific area. It doesn't really communicate with anybody outside of that. Um, okay. So they're quite insular. Um, so I think there was that um, because um, I, I, I speak fluent French as well. Um, it just made sense that I, I went out there as well. Um, although they did actually speak really pretty good English. When we got there. <laughs> um, but but I think it was more um, it was more our because of all the experience that we'd had up at Hebden Bridge um, during the Boxing Day, and I think there was a, another event prior to that, which was vessels left in precarious positions. So. Um, 
again, historically, um, most insurers have relied upon surveyors. Surveyors like to do things in very set ways, and, and generally that involves bringing in a crane and using the crane to remove them, whereas we like to try and think outside the box. We only use cranes where it's absolutely necessary. Um, but also when you're lifting vessels, um, crane operators are, are more than used to putting two straps on and generally lifting a vessel upwards. When you have a vessel on its side or, or um, at a different angle, you need to have the experience of knowing where to place those straps, when to lift it, when to stop. Um, and uh, Trevor, the CEO, um, that, that, that's really one of his other, his other skills that he has out in his, um, in, in his toolbox, if you like. Um, right. He has a natural, and certainly when we have any of these really big rescues, Trevor's usually shipped out to oversee because um, he has a, you know, he's, he has a vast array of experience and knowledge in these things, and he's worked in the crane industry a lot. So um, we do rely upon him, and he trains up a number of our our other rescue coordinators. But where we need, you know, where we've got something that's maybe a little bit more challenging. Um, then generally we send him down there. Even it's a, it, we don't let him in the water anymore. He's generally as an advisory role more than more than anything else. Um, so so I think that combination and them knowing that we've we've got um, if they had dealt with the, with the French companies, the chances are everything would have had to have been cranes and the bills would have gone really high. So I think their thing was we know RCR can manage costs and look at alternatives. So let's get them out there and see if they can do anything. And I think we managed to recover. We managed to recover four of the vessels that they were they were worried about. Um, all high within... boats were they? Sorry, were they high boats? Uh, they are, yes. Yeah, it was it was all the boat higher boats, but they were all in various different um, degrees of you know um, upside down and wrong way round in trees, <laughs> um, etc. So yeah, it was uh, it was it was a cold because it was winter and it's only the Pyrenees. It was a cold experience, but um, no, it was it was interesting to go out there. But it wasn't summer. It would have been delightful, you know. Well, we did. We did manage. I think one. Uh, we did take a day out while we were up there, and we actually went up the up the mountains, and there was snow, like wow. two foot of snow, snow, which was really, uh, really quite. Considering we don't get snow very often in England nowadays. That's true. How has um, lockdown affected your business? Um, it's it's been lockdowns plural actually. Sorry. Yeah, lockdowns. Um. 2020 was a strange year, but I can't say um, it was a negative year. Um, it, it, two, two reasons. Um, and and, and um, in terms of the company, um, we had a very light year. So we, we, we had peaks and troughs, which was actually quite difficult to manage. Um, but at the same time, um, it wasn't insurmountable. I think we've, we've had, we've definitely seen a drop down in memberships. Um, we've done a uh, we've done a lot of work at the end of 2019, not because we knew anything was coming, um, but we'd actually uh, we'd actually kind of done quite a big review at the end of 2019 and decided we needed to make some changes and to um, streamline some things. So we've made a, a, a lot of um, a lot of changes, which actually, when lockdown happened, turned out to be really not you know a, a really good plan. If we'd have been able to plan for it, we couldn't have planned any better. Oh right. Um, okay. So, so that place is in quite a good position. Um, the, the the drop in memberships was, you know, we have seen the drop, but not anywhere near as 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 bad as we thought it would be. Um, but you know, sufficient enough to to much like any other of the, any business that I can't think, I don't think there's many businesses that haven't been unaffected. 
mm. other than maybe the the, the supermarkets. Um, so we were definitely affected, but um, I think it was the, the, the peaks and troughs. Um, we also saw our servicing um, normally during sort of September to March. Most of our income comes from servicing boats. Um, okay. and, and I think that literally dropped from down to, you know, we were lucky if we were maybe doing 20 a, a month. Um, so that definitely impacted on our on our income and our, on a, on our ability to um, to manage our own finances. Mm. The positive sides are um, uh, as much as I love Crick and I love boat you know, boat shows and I love boating. Um, there was almost everybody got a bit of a um, a break. Just. You know, there wasn't quite as much of a demand. There wasn't a need. Um, even working from home, I think all of us, you know, used some of the time that people were on furlough to, to get on top of things. So it's actually been like a, it, it's actually allowed everyone to, to come back this year with a bit more of a brighter right. What are we going to do? Where are we going to take this? Um, we've mm-hmm. got a number of projects in the future, which I might be able to reveal um, um, that, that that we're working towards. Now, those have all been kind of um, tickling away in the background, but I think uh, last year, being given a bit of freedom with regards to the time constraints on what we were delivering to our customers um, and the amount of time it takes to to, to manage that, um, allowed us to to explore a few more things and, and just move some of those projects forward. Um, so that's been really beneficial as well. Mm. Now that the waterways are, have opened up again, are you experiencing or expecting another peak? <laughs> experiencing, <laughs> um, yes, I think so. No, we, we 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 did anticipate. Actually, the first week that lock, that, that lockdown was lifted, we 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 had literally everybody on all staff ready to go because I was my my view was look, it's the last week, it's Easter, we're just going to hit the road running and. The first few days, we were like, "This is really strange. This, you know, it should be going faster." Now we have, we had seen memberships definitely start to to pick up um, prior to that, so um, we we're answering a, a huge number of calls. Um, but but it was more, I think, uh, more towards last weekend, just as we were running up to the weekend, that things started uh, started flying in. So well, I think we've, yeah, we're 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 probably we're, we're definitely around about sort of. Usually at Easter we see a peak anyway, um, and I think the call-outs are running at, at those peak periods at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we just have a quick a quick look. But, um, yeah, I think we're probably topping around about the 20 to 25 call-outs a, a day mark at the moment. Right. Which is typical for a peak day. What we're, what we're <laughs> at this time of year, um, what we're waiting to see is whether that drops down. Um, so normally we get a peak at Easter, then it drops down, then you start to see it pick up for May. Um, and then from May, June, you kind of get that slow um, drive right the way up to kind of June, July, where it's the summer holidays. And then it starts dropping back down again. Um, and we have, you know, weekly and daily peaks, depending on, on, on a number of factors from weather right the way to bank holidays, right the way to school holidays. Um, but um, it's going to be interesting to see whether that drops down now. Um, or whether it continues to ride on because everybody's trying to get out on the boat and enjoy the waterways while there's no lockdown in place. Yes. I wondered if there's any problems caused by the fact that people haven't been able to access their boat as often as they'd like 
particularly yeah. for maintenance. Is that, do, you, do you think that will cause problems? Uh, yes, yes, hundred percent, and already has. <laughs> okay. um, so, so right the way when we first started the the lockdown situation, I um, we had in, I live on a boat as well, and in our home arena, um, we were lucky enough to pick up that um, the eggy smell that was coming from a particular boat was because their batteries were, were boiling um, and prevent near disaster. Um, but, but we have had right the way through lockdown a number of tales of, you know, boats taking on water, um, batteries failing, bilge pumps failing. Um, and um, I actually wrote to the government and, and said, look, you, you know, we, we've by by decent, not not allowing people to actually visit their vessel um, and check on it, then you're leaving the marinas liable to have to take that responsibility up and their insurance potentially to cover it if something happens. Um, now, you know, they, I think the government in the end left it up to each marina to make the decision for them. Um, but towards the end of this year, you know, it was very clear that the insurer's points of view, um, not all of them, um, was that if you hadn't taken adequate steps to make sure your boat was kept an eye on, then then they were of the view that they would refuse a, refuse a, a claim, um, which I think was you know is is quite harsh in the current environment, especially yeah. when people were told they weren't allowed to travel. Some marinas, you know. Um, you know, will happily go off and check boats, but they're not going to get onto a boat and check things. Um, but no, we have seen we've seen multiple cases of of issues with vessels, um, you know, sinking or taking on water, or as I said, with with batteries. Now we're seeing more in the in the last few months um, where people are, are managing to get down to the boats and as marinas are allowing them in, um, we're seeing sort of fuel contamination, flat batteries, um, you know, just just um, general issues with starting so because you've got alternators and starter motors both of which are electrical units in a damp environment if they're not started up regularly they don't get a chance to burn off that damp um, so we're seeing a lot of starter motor failures or, or uh, electrical connection issues um, alternators not charging um, fan belts that uh, fan belts if they're left too long start to crack as well um so yeah it, the, the, the list goes on but yes we, we're seeing a lot of um, a lot of call outs that um you could put down yeah i mean jump starting I, I think jump starting and batteries are probably our biggest one at the moment right yeah and that's as you say as we say that's related to uh yes to the lockdown just just i'm just having a look at our list at the moment and out of yeah. the uh, well, let me have a look that's We've got about 15 ongoing at the moment, and most of those will have been done this morning. There's there's at least five of those that are batteries, so that's a third yes. just on today. Right. That's good good information. Did you mention you live on the boat, Stephanie? Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> ah, right. So yeah. how, long, how long have you been a liverboard? Um, since 2006. Right. So you founded the company and then you like boats so much that you decided to live on one? Sort of. <laughs> I, we, we, like, we like boats, but um, unfortunately, I think living and working on the inland waterways would probably break me. So, um, no, we have an ocean-going vessel. Um, oh. So we live on a coastal marina so that, you know, it, it is still boating life. There is no difference between living on the coast and living on inland. Um, the difference being that there's a, um, you know... It, it, there's, I don't need to see my customers outside the outside the bedroom window, I guess, and that's meant in the nicest possible way. No, but when you when you're doing this between, you know, uh, you know, uh, 
we're a 24 hour company. So I, we, you know, I, I still answer calls at two o'clock in the morning if there's an emergency. Um, so, so, you know, I don't generally like when I'm taking my time off, I don't generally like to talk about work or boats. No, it's <laughs> just because it's, 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 you know, I love them. But it's not. I try and separate out my private life with with with, with my boating life, um, uh, or my boating life and my boating work. Um, <laughs> one of the two. But yes, it, it, it just um, you've got to have time off from work. And unfortunately, when you're a boater, um, if you work it with boats as well, it's really difficult to achieve. Yes, I can. I can imagine. Yes. So, are you allowed to tell us where this marina is? It's on the south coast in Wales. South, oh, Wales. Wow. <laughs> Lovely part of the world. It is. No, it's in Pembrokeshire. And I must say, I've absolutely fallen in love with the place. It's the, I shouldn't even be saying this, but it's the biggest, it's the best kept secret in England and Wales. Um, right. And uh, the only thing that's broken that secret is the fact that everybody's home, home um, vacationing this year and, and yes, yeah yes. so 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 now we're, we're, we're it's it's not a part of the country that many people visit but it is um i would say it's even better than cornwall oh wow that's hard to beat that's a claim <laughs> yeah i have to find out where it is and uh, book a holiday um, <laughs> so does rcr have any interesting developments on the horizon um, yes, we do. Um, luckily, we've been having a, 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 a network of engineers um, stopping them creating solutions to problems is my biggest problem. Um, but uh, no, so we, we, we're constantly developing things. So um, obviously, we've developed Bilge Away, which is this um, environmentally friendly bilge filter. Um, and um, we did you have, design that yeah. stuff? Yes, we did. Yeah, no, this was yeah. all this was all done in house. So, um, yeah. and and it was designed because I was sick of my engineers coming out looking like they've been in a chimney, you know, chimney sweeps coming out of there. Um, the fact is, most, not most, a good majority of of engine rooms and bilges are filthy and the trouble is that our engineers have to work in that and um, hydrocarbons are uh, carcinogenic so you know getting dirty diesel and uh, and oil on your hands and it's absorbed into the skin actually causes cancer so um, you know as much as we put gloves on and that sort of stuff when they're stood in there and they you know their leg slips and they've got up to their knees in, in in oil and water and then there's the impact on the environment and the fact is you know we've got 20,000 customers there's 70,000 boaters out there um, if you equate that to you know 50% of all the boats we go to have dirty bilges where is that bilge water going because it doesn't always go into the marinas into the pump outs um, yeah. and as you know and I appreciate being a boater as well. Sometimes shortcuts are, are you know, you, you end up having to do them for whatever reason, whether you like them or not. Um, but this, you know, there is no reason with, with, with the filter that that should happen. And, and it just ticks all the boxes. So that was, you know, again, that was specifically for a problem. Um, we've designed brackets that go on the back of boats so that we don't have to tow them. Um, we're in the process of developing something to go in the fuel tank, which will prevent diesel spillages when a boat sinks. Um, okay. We are um, WaterNav. Um, I know WaterNav's been around for a while now. This is a, uh, a smartphone application. That's it? right. Yeah, it, it, it's a. Um, it was and still is an offline mapping option for boaters. Um, the trouble being that when we um, when we bought WaterNav, WaterNav was a, a product that was around um, a long, number of years ago, and we've always used um, it was eCanal Maps um, products because they helped us to locate boaters, etc. But there was a lot more we wanted to do with it, and the um, it was it was funded originally by a European grant, and um, they 
at that particular time, I think it was probably a good 10 years ago, um, the technologies, maybe, maybe they weren't there or maybe the, um, the, tech, the, the guys that built the apps weren't, weren't up to speed. But the, they were very, because it was an offline map, i.e. you could access all of the data um, without a data connection. So you had to download it to your phone. But the trouble was there's that much data that you could only ever get. Um, to, we, we had to split the whole country up into areas. You could only ever get two areas on your phone before your phone was completely overloaded with data. <laughs> Right. So we, we've we've recently over overhauled all of that now. Um, we've um, we've now got all of the data in one map. Um, we've got the data down to um, they were just up to date. They've given me an update today down to to, to it literally takes less than um, one minute to download the map now. Um, and we've developed the route for, the route planning functions. Um, we've got a real um, a real uh, plan. Of action for where that product's going in the future. We've got we're just in the process of uploading all the European data so that we can have European mapping. Um, and there's a whole host of functionality that's coming with that. So we're really quite excited because it is the only offline map. Um, we want mm. to in the future we're going to be including it so it will it will alert you if you're going the wrong way down the navigation because we see a lot of um, incorrect decisions on navigation where people just aren't clear um we're, we're going to be moving towards a system which is user-led for updates um, and allows us to also notify everyone of obstacles we'll automatically update canal and river trust if there are issues with locks um, so it, it, it's becoming a, we've you know we're trying to almost create a a community field but with an app um, and the hope is as we move forward, we'll include sort of social media um, elements. But we really want to get it to this point where as you're cruising along, you spot a kingfisher or, a, um, you know, it would be nice, but you spot an otter. You take a photo and you upload it and that notifies, you know, local people that that's there so that yeah. you can enjoy the waterways rather than it just being about, you know, there's an issue here or there's... It needs to be about positive things as well. Yeah, yeah, I see. Well, so, so Walton Abbott, we're really quite excited about. Um, we're also um, we're currently um, planning to branch out into Australia as well. So, we're Australia, Australia, yes. Um, so, uh, the inland waterways we, of Australia. Well, it's um, it's more uh, so. River Canal Rescue will become River Coastal Rescue. Ah, okay. Um, so um, it, it's more on estuaries, um, big rivers. Um, but what we've identified is there's a real need for um, a service like ours, um, and there are high density of boaters um, in certain areas around the world. But Australia, with it being the the same, the, they speak the same language for a start off. <laughs> um, that the locations that we've um, we've decided to launch, and, that, and this should be within the next year. Year, um, that will actually be, be, be launching out there um, but we're also looking potentially at the UK and, and launching on the India on the inland coast or right. on, on the British coast or section so um, we're probably going to do it out in Australia first because we've got a very focused area there where it's just a sort of 40 mile um, limit um, is the normal cruising range for most of the, the boaters okay. there um, and then work from that from the lessons we learn from there hopefully we'll be able to then um, sort of uh, launch the same thing on the in the UK around the coast brilliant very exciting times um, and good luck with it all Steph oh no thanks very much Bobby um, and thank you so much for your time today it's been it's been a pleasure talking to you really insightful Excellent. All right. Well, I'm glad I could get part of something. I'm hopefully it sounds okay by the time we're between the dog barking and. Uh... It is fine. Yeah, I might just explain that there's a bit of background noise.
For over 45 years, the ABC Leisure Group has been at the forefront of the waterways leisure industry. With 15 strategically placed marinas around the UK, it has hundreds of moorings with modern facilities and a range of benefits. ABC also runs a successful and competitive boat brokerage business. Visit abcboatsales.com, as well as over 200 luxury hire boats and day boats visit abcboathire.com. Furthermore, it offers a range of land-based holiday accommodation, including waterside holiday cottages and caravan parks. Visit abcholidaycottages.com.